Hi there. A quick message before we start. Don't forget that you can save money this winter when you book your ski hire at intersportrent.com and use the code SKIPODCAST. You'll get a guaranteed discount for all ski hire in France, Austria and Switzerland. And to make it even simpler, you don't even need to use that code. Just take the link in the show notes and your basket will automatically be reduced. So if you want to support the Ski Podcast, remember to book your ski hire within support and to use the code Ski Podcast or take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Right, let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode 184 of the Ski Podcast, and thanks for joining us, listener. Today, we're going to be finding out what it's like hiking across Les Trois about the new alpine crossing in Zermatt, and an environmentally focused ski school in Mirabel. My name is Ian Martin. I'd like to introduce my guests today. Both are first-timers to the show, so I'd like to welcome Estelle Roy from the tourist office in Les Minuire. Hi, Estelle. How are you? Hi, I'm good, and you? I'm, I'm very well. Um, I'm pretty sure you're not in Lehman Weir at the moment. Just tell us where you are. No, no, I'm I'm now in Brussels. <laughs> okay, and why have you gone to Brussels? Um, I go for a workshop. Um, it's the first one, actually. Uh, we have a first workshop for uh, introducing the next uh, winter season. Excellent. Well, I, I think people are starting to get excited about the next winter season for reasons yeah. we'll come to shortly. Uh, I'd also like to welcome Ollie Scott from the ski school Rhythm to Ride in Mirabel. Hi, Ollie. How are you? Very well, thank you. Hello, everyone. Uh, and whereabouts are you today, Ollie? I am speaking to you from a very sunny and slightly snowy Mirabel. Okay, well, I'm glad you brought that in because, um, you know, since our last podcast, uh, at one point, the zero ice therm went as high as 5,300 metres. And you know, I was in the Alps last week. It was very warm, but weather, you know, guess what? It changes in the Alps. And uh, from where you are right now, Ollie, I'm thinking that you can see snow, right? I can. For this time of year, I can see much more snow than I would be used to. That is definitely true. Yeah, because um, it changed the snow. I think it changed the snow at the weekend, didn't it? Uh, maybe down as low as 2,300. I was looking on the webcams this morning and there's still snow up in, uh, you know, Salir and uh, Val Torrens and the higher levels of the three valleys. Yeah, so as I look straight out of my window now, I pretty much look straight up Salir and it's got a good covering on it. If you got rid of the tree line, it would look like it's uh, been thrown into the middle of winter. Yep, cool. Well, you know, that's very exciting. It is only August as we record this today, the 31st of August. It's unlikely, realistically, that that snow will stay until the winter, but it's still always encouraging to uh, see it there. And a question I, I always like to ask my guests is, when did you last ski or snowboard? So, Estelle, let's start with uh, you. I'm, I'm guessing when it might be, but go on, tell us. Oh, uh, that, was, uh, that was actually in, uh, in April, I think. Last April in Lemonuia, yeah, yeah. We could see go and uh, have good snow. Yeah, I think it was the last weekend of the um, the, the opening of the season. Actually, when when we closed, yeah. exactly. Makes sense, yeah. right to the end if you're living there. What about yourself, <laughs> uh, Ollie? Were you skiing on the last day as well? Skied all the way through to the last day, but then I managed to get the skis on for one more outing around. I think it was about the twentieth of May. We went to go and try do some ski touring um, in the area, which was fantastic. All right, where did you go? Um, so we tried to go up the Grand Casse, which if you're unfamiliar with the Savoie region is the biggest mountain in our area. And unfortunately, I have to say that it's my second attempt to trying to get to the top and also my second failure. Um, so it's still to be conquered, but at least this time I got a little bit closer. I got to about 300 meters within the summit, uh, before having to retreat because it got too hot and my fitness levels weren't quite ready for the altitude we were at. Okay, well, I think as um, Beckett said, fail again, fail better. So third time, uh, third time lucky, maybe. Still great to be out on the mountain on the 20th of May. I'm delighted to be able to chip in and say that I actually did some skiing uh, last week because um, after Le Trois-Vallée, I went to Zermatt and um, I got a little bit of time in on the glacier. It was actually before it started uh, snowing. So it was it was pretty thin and I was a late starter. I didn't start skiing till 10. And if you've ever skied on summer glaciers, you'll know that you really need to be there much earlier than that. If you're going to get like all the ski racers who were up there, some of the yeah. French team, and the Swiss team, you know, they get up at like six in the morning and they're on the glacier, you know, skiing straight away. When you get there at 10, 
it's already slushy but as far as i'm concerned any time on the mountain uh, and any turns you get in is is good so that was uh, that was really good to be there now i've already mentioned i was in the uh, uh, le toivale in the three valleys and we all know it's the largest ski area in the world uh, but recently we've been looking at what it's like in summer and in recent episodes in the podcast we've heard about mountain biking and road cycling obviously the tour de france went there uh, recently we had jen telling us about family activities in valterens but i love hiking and i want to see if you could hike across the whole of the three valleys so i started in a cauchoval I met Florent uh, from the Courcheval Tourist Office, and he guided me up uh, the Lazeval uh, Valley. Uh, and that route was uh, was gorgeous. It took us uh, past some uh, early on some abandoned villages. Uh, there's a place called Montcharvet, uh, where people used to live at uh, once upon a time, and they had to move out because the water supply, um, I'm going to say, got infected. I did actually look this up. And uh, it was to do with uh, large deposits of gypsum meant the water was overly rich in copper sulfate. So locals had to move out. But actually, it's being renovated. But it's fascinating going through there and seeing all the abandoned uh, buildings. They got to uh, the Lac de Rosière, which is just below Courchevel Morion, 1650. If you've never been there, I highly recommend it. it. I've been there in winter, you know, on runs. But in summer, it's absolutely spectacular. Something about the colour uh, of that uh, lake. It really is glorious. But for me, the whole of that particular uh, hike really improved as we went further up the mountain and you know, got away from the kind of crowds into the upper Lazerval Valley. Uh, and I said uh, goodbye to Florent quite near the uh, refuge de Grand Chalet where I was due to stay the night because I wanted to do a side trek up to the Breche Portetta. Um, but we had a quick chat before we parted. So let's have a listen to that. It's so quiet here. I absolutely love it. You know, we're halfway up a mountain in Courcheval and you would just uh, never know. And I'm standing here uh, just now with uh, Florent Hazuka from the Courcheval uh, Tourist Board. And I just want to say uh, merci, Florent. What a great morning. Thank you too, uh, Yen. I hope you enjoy your trip this morning. Yeah, it was brilliant. We started in Courcheval, uh, Le Pra, and we basically walked up. We're in uh, the Valley Les Aval uh, right now. And uh, really, there's nothing here. It's not what people normally think of with a ski resort in summer, particularly somewhere like Courcheval. But there's a lot to discover here, right? Exactly. Many hike, many, many hiking tracks, but also many activities because this morning we cross the Lac de la Rosière and you see many people, many different people. Now we're in the middle of the mountain. It's more mountain spirit, more quiet. So the mountain is for everybody in summer. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, lower down, like Lac de Rosière, which is... Really beautiful. We saw people doing Via Ferrata, and uh, you know, families hiking, very accessible, you know, beautiful waterfall that you can see. But if you just want to go a little bit further, because what we're only, I don't know, maybe an hour further on here. Yeah, and I think we we met what what five people, six people, <laughs> yeah. maybe seven people, yeah. Yeah, and and, and what it. three or four marmots. <laughs> exactly. And many cow. Yeah, and the cows as well, yeah, which are producing both for. We had a really interesting conversation about that. And then we're going to go on to uh, the refuges uh, here. I'm going to stay tonight at the refuge de Grand Plain. Uh, but people don't realise that you can actually stay on the mountain in summer as well. Yeah, yeah. you know what? When people come, they're, they're mostly in summer, because in summer, mountain is very accessible. It's very green, it's very peaceful. And when you, when you, are, when you have the opportunity to sleep in the middle of the mountain, it's just an amazing feeling. Yeah, well, the main thing I'm going to uh, watch out for is your tip-off, is you've got to look at that night sky. Exactly, you know, because we're still gonna, in August. Yeah, yeah just got to make sure, you know, there's no stars around here at all. Uh, excuse me, there's no light around here at all, and exactly. so the view of the stars is perfect. So, merci, Florent. Thanks very much for your time in taking guiding me today. Merci, Yann. À bientôt. <laughs> Um, so I wanted to go up to Brescia because, you know, I know it's quite a big uh, a ski touring uh, spot. And also physically, it's quite dramatic. Um, so I, I hiked up there, went past some goats who were very noisy. Uh, maybe I'll drop those in uh, if we get the time. And then I got to the top there and it was very, very rocky. Um, lots of scree uh, uh, up there. Um, but really interesting. I, I saw what I took to be some kind of uh, wreckage. And so I actually went off the path a little bit and went down to look at it. And I found the remains of a plane crash uh, up there. And it took me quite a bit of Googling before I eventually discovered what had happened. And it was a 
Australia to uh, London to Australia, excuse me, air race from 1969. And no, one of the planes went missing in the French Alps, and it was that one that crashed. So that's been there since 1969. There were two fatalities uh, in that. I'm not going to say it's like something you go out of your way to look at, but I just found it fascinating and another reminder how, you know, the mountains, you know, can change uh, uh, really quickly. Um, Ollie, I think you told me in the uh, green room earlier that you've been ski touring up to uh, Brescia-Porteta before. Yes, I have. It's a very popular route in the local area. It's very, I mean, it's, not one of the easier routes, as I'm sure you found walking up there the other day. And especially in the winter, the top section gets pretty steep and pretty exposed. But it is definitely one for the local bucket list. Yeah. And were you going uh, descending on the Courcheval side to Les Aval or down to Pralognon on the other side? So I, unfortunately, I've never done the descent off the other side to Pralognon. I've only come back on the side that you ski tore up. But I would love to try, you know, as you get to the top and the rock starts to break, you've got this huge kind of gap between the two rock faces to go through there and off the other side is still one to be ticked off. But it is. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's, there's a clue in the name there. The breche is like a breach. It's literally this breach and a line of uh, rock. And it is very spectacular. When, when you did the ski touring, were you staying in a refuge or did you do that as a day trip? We actually did it as a day trip because there's a few different ways you can get into it. So you came up through Valley de Zaval, but if you actually ski from higher up from the Courcheval side, you can kind of cut the trip a little bit shorter. Yeah. Okay. So that's probably going to fit in with the next stage of my uh, uh, journey. But I stayed uh, uh, that night in the Refuge du Grand Plain. Very beautiful terrace there. Um, you know, a few people uh, were having uh, beers and enjoying the late evening sunshine. Uh, very comfortable. I actually had, um, you know, a, a single room or let's say a separate room. You know, normally in the refugees, you're staying in uh, dorms. Uh, it was only uh, a few euros more if you book long enough in advance to get a separate room. Probably I'd recommend that. Uh, then it eliminates uh, needing to worry about other people's uh, snoring or noises in the night, etc. Uh, and food. Very hearty, um, you know, we had soup, polenta, local sausage and a dessert. So we've got a three-course uh, uh, meal there. Um, and it's it's actually just inside the uh, Vanoise uh, National Park there. And I know that a lot of ski tourers do base themselves in the winter to do a bit of ski touring uh, around uh, that area. Uh, next day, I got up and went up to uh, Lac Merlet. Uh, that was very beautiful. I was lucky enough to be one of the first people up there that day. And there was no one around uh, at all. Uh, and it was just so quiet. I'm uh, currently at Lac Merle Superior, 2,450 meters. And to me, what's really striking is how quiet it is. The most you're likely to hear are going to be some bees, maybe a marmot in the distance. There's just not many places you can get this anymore. And then after uh, Lac Merlet, then I started to move around and I came into the ski area and I came up to uh, um, called uh, Shanrossa. I'm thinking yeah. it's from Shanrossa or maybe the top of Signal that you came down into the uh, Dezaval Valley. Would that be right, Ollie? That's exactly it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I was a bit worried that I was... Because I really, you know, one of the great things about hiking uh, to me... It's much better if there aren't many other people around, <laughs> you know. And so when I came into the ski area uh, and actually there's a car park, you know, really high up, um, quite near the bottom of the Shanrossa. Well, it's not called the Shanrossa lift on that side. It might be the Signal lift. Um, but actually, I didn't really see many people at all. I walked up to Col de Shanrossa, came down the other side um, and then I walked on to a Col de Free. There's another area that ski tourers, you know, might have uh, been to. If you stand at the bottom of Suisse and look to your left, you'd see it up there. And that's a fair climb. Uh, went down on the other side to Plan de Tweda. Uh, and that is above Maribel Monterey. So if you'd walk through Monterey and through Lac de Tweda, that's a kind of next level up. I actually went there last winter when I went to Refuge de Sceaux. Uh, which is uh, in a, one of the other episodes I'll stick into the uh, uh, show notes. And that path up there, that actually was busy. There's a beautiful river there. I might just drop in the audio for that. 
uh, and lots of people going up to Refuge to Sow for the day. Um, but I was actually just going across it. And really, I didn't come across many people uh, at all. Uh, and uh, actually, the main the main um, bonus for me of crossing that path was there was a, uh, a bassin there. Yeah, I could top up my water because it was a very hot day. This is before all the snow came in. And, uh, you know, I was running pretty low. Uh, after that, I went over Col de Valon, and that takes you to the bottom of Mont Valon. So, again, I'm skirting through the ski area, but I didn't really see any people. Went across the bottom of Mont Valon, very bleak and rocky. You can see why it takes a long time for Mont Valon to open up. There are so many rocks all over the uh, the bottom of that uh, area. It was hot, so hot. I went over the top of uh, Com de la Chambre, which is a the kind of ridge where you're coming down. You actually got three areas meeting at that point, Le Manuir, Valterens, and Mirabel. And I took yeah. a diversion down to VT because I just needed uh, some water. And Acadelli uh, Valterens doesn't look very nice in summer without snow. <laughs> Not a very pretty place. Uh, but then I got to Lac de Loup um, and the refuge there, Refuge de Lac de Loup. And that is just such a beautiful spot. And Estelle, that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you uh, on board uh, today, uh, because obviously yeah. it's your local, your local refuge. Um, I think that you probably go up there uh, reasonably often. I wonder if you could just give us more of a feel as to what people would expect from the uh, the refuge, uh, refuge de la Delu. Well, this refuge actually it's been uh, existing for a long time. But um, so you can still see the last, the, 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 the old refuge, actually, where there's uh, now eight, uh, eight beds only on it. But then they, they, they built a new one, actually, just very close to the very old refuge uh, to welcome some more people. So uh, you can have, um, um, uh, you can sleep there. It's very fantastic because when you arrive there, it's not that long, actually. It's about 45 minutes to go. And um, attitude difference is about um, uh, 250 meters, something like this. So it's it's not that hard to go there. So it's quite accessible, actually. Um, and when you arrive there, there's the, one of the biggest lake of the Belleville Valley, which is actually very, uh, very peaceful place, actually. It's, it's really nice. And then you can have lunch or you can stay in the refuge, whatever you want, actually. It's a very new refuge. There's uh, three people to welcome you there. And uh, they're very nice. And they're having a very um, um, uh, local and uh, homemade food. The food there was excellent. They offered us a, a, a um, fondue. I decided I probably topped out on, on cheese. You said it was 45 minutes. Can I just clarify? So that's 45 minutes walking up from Le Manuia, right? Yes. Yes. From Le Manuia, it's about 45 minutes. I've never done from Valtrans, but I think it's about one hour or one hour, 15 minutes, something like this. Yeah, I'd say based on my journey down, that sounds about uh, mm. right as well. And you said, yeah. you know, so I saw that old, the old um, refuge yeah. next to the new building. When was the new building built? Um, it was built in, um, I would say, six years ago, something like that. Right. Oh, okay. It's, it's quite Way new, more recent yeah. than I than I thought. Okay. And what about the old one then? How long has that been there? Any idea about that? I can't tell you exactly, but there's a there's a there's a sign on it, and it's written um, eighteen eighteen sixty. Originally, it would have been used in in farming or something like that. That kind of uh, makes sense. Yeah, and so I think so. Big, yeah, and a big difference with between the refuge de Lac de Loup and, for example, the other one I stayed in, um, the refuge de Grand Chalet, is that Lac de Loup is much bigger. I mean, they've got quite a few rooms there, haven't they? They have uh, they have um, a few dorms, about eight people, and then from six people, so you have about five five different rooms in the in the big chalet and the old chalet. There's only one room with eight beds. So uh, in, in yeah. total, it's about 30, 30, 32 beds, something like this. Yeah. And when I got there, um, as you mentioned, I mean, a lot of people just go up there for the for the day because it's got a marvellous terrace there. And the lake itself is is great. I was so hot after my uh, hiking that I got in and uh, I'm not going to say I had a swim, but I immersed myself <laughs> in the water. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't, uh, you know, very warm. I do get in the sea here in Brighton on a regular basis, but uh, pretty cold. But there were a lot of people, particularly kids, like paddling and a lot of people just getting in there and having uh, having fun. Any idea what the temperature is? Uh, it's a very hard question. I would say something like between maybe 14, 
you're, you're taking taking away my credibility uh, uh, there. But you know, in winter, just to, just to um, you know, clarify, I mean, the, the refuge is open in winter as well. I've been up there and stayed there in winter before, yeah. and in fact, that's another episode I'll put into the show notes. I ski tooled up there uh, at night. Um, but I think I'm right in saying that uh, you can you offer ice diving there in winter. Is that right? Yes, you can do ice diving. Yeah, during the winter time, and it's quite. Um, it's very, it's very, um, I, I don't know how to say it. It's very, uh, very, very exceptional as an experience, actually, because you go under the ice with um, a, a guide, actually. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, wow. <laughs> it's, I don't know. It's, have you, it's, have you done it's it? Difficult to, to, to understand. Yeah, yeah, I've done it. Yeah. Wow. And um, yeah, you go, you go first in the ice and then you get emerged, uh, but you're not, you're not cold, actually. But you get in the emerge in the in the um, in the water, and then you go slowly under the ice, and you 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 just sledge actually under the ice in the water. And I don't know, the atmosphere is so special actually. And the right. visibility is good. It depends on the weather. Uh, when I've done it, it was a uh, it was very sunny day, so yeah, the visibility was good. But I think if it's a bit cloudy, it should be a bit uh, not uh, not not clear. Okay, and what are you wearing then? You said you weren't cold. I presume you've got like an incredibly thick wetsuit on. Yeah, yeah. You get everything on you. You just get, um, yeah, you get mask. You get uh, all the um, uh, all the clothes to go to go in the in the very cold weather. Uh, you get gloves, uh, socks for the for the feet. You weren't nervous at, at any point. I think I would feel a little uncomfortable, kind of just being underneath the ice there not that much actually because i was um no i was very excited actually to do it um and um the, the guide dan is um he's very patient and he explains very well actually what what's gonna happen then so um so you feel like quite in confidence like yeah you feel good well, that's something that um, I haven't tried. I'm not entirely sure I will. <laughs> back, back to summer again. Um, I saw quite a few people fishing as well. I wasn't quite yeah. sure what the rules are about fishing. You have to have a license to be able to do that. Is that right? Yes, you have to buy a license to go fishing anywhere in the, in the river or in the lake, um, in the mountain in general, actually. That's yes, you have to buy your license and uh, it depends how long you want to go fishing. You can have it for a few months or just for one day. It really depends on what you what you really want to do. But yes, you can go fishing, but you need something to be uh, to be authorized to go there. Um, Ollie, you look like you wanted to chip in back there. Have you tried uh, ice diving at all or something like that? No, I mean, I have a potentially slightly naive question for you, but is this free diving or are you going in with scuba diving equipment? There's a, there's two options. You can do both actually, uh, but oh. I've done the free diving. Oh, I have no oxygen uh, with me. Wow. Oh my uh, God. It's even worse than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> free diving is going through a moment at the moment. Uh, so that's probably really good uh, timing. Estelle, I don't know if you know about this, but um, ice swimming has become uh, very popular in recent years. And in fact, the world ice swimming championships are held in Samoan early this year which we featured maybe you should be putting Lac de Lou, uh up as a potential venue for the next uh, world championships <laughs> yes yes why not <laughs> it's a good idea <laughs> it, it, can I ask you another question in the last episode yeah. we had uh, uh, Jen on and she took her family on holiday to um, Valterens and they went down to Chez Pepe, Pepe Nicola and yeah. had a fantastic uh, time down there. The kids, you know, uh, met the goats. They learnt, you know, how uh, cheese was made, etc. And they had a fantastic uh, meal. That is that on the path between Lehmannweir and uh, Refuge Lac de Loup. It's somewhere near there, isn't it? Well, actually, there's two there's two ways to go to uh, Lac de Loup. You can start from the uh, Plan de l'eau, where there's a there's a this is a kind of little lake where people can fish next to Le Menuire and go up to Lac de Loup. And, or you can go to, you can start to Chepepe Nicolas and then take another, another route to go to uh, Lac de Loup, which is a bit, um, a bit easier than the way, the first one actually, um, because it's a very large route and uh, you can, you can even go there with some uh, trailer or with the kids. It's much easier to go that way. Than the the first one, but yeah, uh, yes, I, it's in an fact, option. I remember we 
when we talk about vocabulary for this by trailer you mean like a what we think of, a, of as a yeah. push chair or a stroller <laughs> or, or whatever you know it's yeah, quite an easy path like to, to get up a nice way nice way to uh, combine the two and and if someone wanted the book um the refuge the, the refuge like the loo either in winter or summer how do they go about that uh if they want to book it's uh, very easy because they have a website and uh so you can book directly on the website or they can they can just call them it's it's okay so Right. Okay. Well, I'll put a link to that uh, website in the yeah. uh, show notes uh, as well then. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I can highly recommend it. And I think that, you know, a lot of people, if certainly if you're on holiday in winter, which most people listening to this podcast are probably going to be on holiday in winter, you might think, well, I don't want to give up a day of my holiday, you know, to uh, to go and stay in a refuge. But brilliant thing to do uh, with the kids and great fun uh to to do as well and certainly in summer absolutely highly uh, recommend it and it's really good value for money uh, as well um so that's brilliant uh, uh estelle thanks so much uh, for that um we're going to um segue to zermatt now different part of the uh alps uh, different kind of bells over in zermatt let's have a listen to the ones i heard out the window there So I mentioned already that I went skiing when I was over in Zermatt. The glacier was pretty thin in terms of snow when I was there, but there's uh, there's more snow as of uh, last weekend. And you know, the fact is, it is open. This time last year, it was actually closed due to the uh, ridiculously warm temperatures we had. But the main reason I was there was for a trail running race called the Maton Ultrax. I did the uh, Sky Race, uh, which is a 49-kilometer race with 3,600 meters of uh, vertical. Well, at least that will was what it was meant to be it actually got shortened because it was that weekend that the weather turned and i'm going to write an article for this for trail runner magazine so i'll put a link to that uh, uh, somewhere but basically the weather came in it got very very windy started uh, rain uh, we'd had thunder and lightning the night before so they shortened the course uh, to get us back to zermatt uh, a little bit uh, quicker but it was a great race i love being in the in the mountains at any time and it's very spectacular there the other reason I was in Zermatt was to look at uh, the new Alpine crossing uh, and specifically a lift uh, which is called the Glacier Paradise 2, which is linking between Klein Matterhorn uh, in Zermatt and Testa Grigia in uh, Chavinia. And it is pretty amazing feat of engineering. Uh, I spoke to Mark Lager from Zermatt Bergbahnen. Uh, so let's have a listen to that. Right, I'm very excited because I'm uh, here uh, today in Zermatt with Mark Lager, who is PR and Communications Manager. Hi, how are you? Fine, and you? Thanks. Um, I'm very uh, good. Uh, we're currently at 3,800 metres. We've just left Klein Matterhorn, and I'm on a lift that only opened, I think, maybe a month ago? First of July, we opened. Yeah, lift, yes. and it's called the Matterhorn Crossing... Two. No, excuse me. It's called the <laughs> Matterhorn Glacier Ride Two. Matterhorn Glacier Ride Two, exactly. and it's a um, well unique uh, lift, right? Yeah, it's a unique experience, a unique lift. Um, this whole journey from Zermatt to Cervinia, it's a generation project who was finished on first on July. Um, we are up on a very high altitude, and we are crossing the border from Switzerland to Italy in a few minutes on 3,480 meters. So effectively, now it'll be possible to go between Chavinia and Zermatt, right. taking, I think, six lifts, and it takes about 90 minutes to do that? Exactly, one and a half hour, approximately. Um, maybe a bit more if you're staying a bit on the mountain on the different peaks, but uh, one and a half hour. Yeah. Uh, but I'm thinking that probably not that many people would actually do it in 90 minutes, because there's so many places you can stop along the way, each lift station, whether at Klein Matterhorn or Testa Grigia or, or Schwarze, there's always something to get off and have a look at along the way. That's right, we have a unique experience on our peaks. We have the Klein Matterhorn, who is the highest uh, station in Europe with uh, the highest glacier palace uh, in the world. Uh, we have a viewing platform, you see uh, 38 uh, peaks who are higher than 4,000 meters. Uh, several glaciers, um, three countries. Um, so, yeah, really exciting. And as well as you told, uh, Schwarzi, you're approximately right in front of the Matterhorn. And it's included on the lift pass uh, for skiers in winter. But uh, who's it really aimed at, this lift? Um, so, we are aimed at the Asian market. Um, the, 
the visiting guests, um, the groups from the tour operators as well, but not the big groups because we set a price strategy that is really premium. So we are targeting the individual guests and the small traveling groups. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, I know the capacity of the lift is like 1,200 people per hour. I, don't, I think it's probably unlikely ever uh, to reach that. But really, when we were talking the lift earlier, sort of uh, discussing that maybe it's a way of... Um, the, the grand tour that you used to get in the 19th century, it's a, a way that maybe tourists could be in Italy, they see Venice, they see Rome, and then they're coming via Zermatt on their way to, for example, Paris or something like that. Exactly. It's a new route. Um, we are trying to attract a bit the tourist stream who is going from Italy to French. Now we are trying to get them over the Alps via Zermatt, Geneva and Paris. Yeah. To do a stop in front of the matter. Right. Well, I mean, I can see that a lot of people would want to do that for sure. And also, you know, it's going to be um, quite high profile because come November, there's a few downhill races that are going to take place here. Um, they will be the first ever uh, World Cup races that go between from what start in one country and finish in another country. We've just gone over uh, the glacier and there's loads of skiers uh, race training there at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess, uh, you know, that, uh, we, you know, the snow situation is much better than last uh, this time last year. Plus those races have been have been moved back a couple of weeks as well. Yes, two weeks later. Uh, the races are mid-November now. Um, and the snow conditions on the glaciers now are pretty good, pretty exciting for all the athletes who are doing some training here and, and we are really looking forward to this first race. Yeah, well I think it should, be, it should be amazing and you said it takes about four minutes to do the crossing and have a look at how long we've been speaking for, almost exactly uh, four minutes. So that's brilliant Mark, thanks very much for that and uh, I look forward to taking my skis now and having a go on the uh, slopes as well. <laughs> Great, enjoy. Seriously, incredible feat of uh, engineering. And if you have the time, if you're in Zermatt, I recommend you go into uh, what's called the InfoCube at Trocknersteg. It's like a, a little museum which tells you all about uh, the construction of it. it. talks about the blasting they did, like they moved 10,000 uh, cubic metres of rock to be able to build the station uh, on the top there. And all the concrete um, had to be made at lower altitudes because you can't make concrete uh, below five degrees Celsius and then shipped up by helicopter to the construction site at 3,800 metres. Quite amazing that they uh, did it. It cost over 60 million uh, Swiss francs. They wow. think they're going to take in 40 million Swiss francs a year from that lift. And I think in the audio we mentioned the prices, but it, it's it's a premium product. It's going to cost 137 Swiss francs one way or 240 Swiss francs return. Uh, it's really aimed at that. We mentioned this grand tour idea. You know, the, the tourists, probably Asian, they've come to Italy, they've gone to Rome, they've gone to Venice, and now they're on the way to Paris. And what Zermatt are trying to do is to get them to divert via Zermatt, look at the Matterhorn uh, on the way. Yeah, pretty amazing. Uh, Ollie, you said to me before that you skied over in Chavinia. Um, so I, did you ski over to the, the, the Zermatt Glacier when you were there? Yeah, so I was um, there for about six weeks in a summer season. We're going back about 12 years, so I know things have changed since then. But I just remember being taken back by the visual of the entire resort you've got the Matterhorn sitting over the valley looking at everything but then there's just good and two very different sides from the Swiss side to the Italian side you had kind of two cultures combining along the border which was really really interesting I do remember the Italian side being considerably cheaper which um, mm. definitely helped a little bit. Um, and interesting, you actually said about the, uh, the influx of Asian tourism because there were queues and queues of Asian tourists just going up to take a picture of the Matterhorn. And it was, it, I just never expected that one mountain would have such a following of people from so far away in the world, which is very cool, which I guess is why they want to put this this new uh, structure in. Yeah, well, it's definitely, it's, iconic it's an overused uh, cliche but the matter one is iconic you know you see it on every packet of Toblerone uh, although that uh, for technical reasons that is going to change uh, in due course but in various other places uh, all over the place and yeah it's a special uh, mountain so it, it wouldn't surprise me 
if it is a financial uh, success. But skiers who buy the lift pass in Zermatt can actually go on that lift, the uh, the linking lift between uh, Climaton and Chavinia. I mean, you don't really need to because you can ski down to the glacier on the other side. You can. I yeah. recommend taking that lift because it is very spectacular. It just is uh, is beautiful uh, in itself. Um, one other thing I mentioned in the interview uh, with Mark before is the downhill races that they're planning to have uh, in Zermatt and Chavinia. It's going to be called Speed Opening. It was meant to happen last year. If you uh, listen to my uh, interview uh, from September last year, you'll have, uh, know all about it uh, already. Sadly, you know, the warmth that we had in the autumn and the lack of snow meant it didn't go ahead. They are absolutely dead set to make sure that it happens this year. And Mark told me that they've been snow farming on the uh, Chavinia side of things. So if you don't know what snow farming is, you know, they, they basically gathered all the snow at the end of last season and then covered it uh, with tarpaulin, white tarpaulin to uh, kind of protect it. Uh, and they have enough snow, whatever happens, whether, you know, the temperatures are too warm to be able to put the snow cannons on, etc. Those um, races will go ahead for the weekends of the 18th, 19th and 25th, 26th of uh, November. So that will be interesting to watch as well. Um, Ollie, I'm going to come on to uh, Rhythm to Ride now, if uh, if that's okay. Uh, you're a ski school uh, based in Maribel. You've obviously worked in Verbier and you've been to uh, Chavinia before. How long have you been in Maribel? Uh, I've now been in Maribel for six years. Right. And have you been doing the uh, Rhythm to Ride all of that time? No, I have chopped and changed over the few years that I've been here um, with some other ski schools. But Rhythm was set up going into last winter. So we've had one winter in operation. Right. Well, what really struck me about it, I mean, I know there's a lot of ski schools uh, in Maribel and Le Trois Valais uh, area. But um, it really is the focus that you're definitely making something of on the environment and on sustainability uh, issues. On your website, there's a line I particularly like, which says, be the mental in environmental. <laughs> Who came up with that one? Uh, that was a late night between me and my business partner, Rupert. <laughs> well, I'd say that one worked out because I, re I really uh, I really like that. I wondered if you'd like to kind of just run through some of the, the, the kind of policies uh, that you have that help yeah. put the mental into environmental of course i mean look we're all everyone i'm sure tuning into this podcast is either a skier snowboarder very aware of the mountains and and what the changes have been over the last few years um and unfortunately every year that goes past the seasons do seem to be getting a little bit shorter and it's all very well people would come out for a week in december have a fantastic week loads of snow and they go home and they go what's all the fuss about this climate change but then the next set of clients come in and they have rain all week and have a totally different experience yet people's experiences weren't necessarily in our opinion matching up to the drasticness of the situation that we are in and that we're going into so we set up rhythm with kind of a, a focus of just being honest about what's going on within the industry itself and um, that directly affects climate change. The ski industry, unfortunately, is not great when it comes to looking at the longevity of the industry. We've got a lot of materials. There's a big fashion influence in it. There's a huge amount of pollution just from people even getting into these resorts that is slowly having these knock-on effects to make the winters shorter and shorter. And maybe not within our lifetimes, but the ski industry in a whole is going to really suffer within the next 30 to 40. And whether or not it'll be something that's feasible to, you know, will I be able to be a ski instructor in, the, you know, towards the end of my lifetime? We just don't know if that's a thing. So Rhythm was set up to be as honest as possible, but also to be the first ski school that is really talking about change. So we have taken on some pledges as a company that are relatively simple and we hope that other companies will start to take on, but they're going to have a really big impact on the longevity of the industry. So some of our pledges are, number one, we plant seeds um, for every hour booked with us. We actually plant four seeds for every hour booked with us with a company in Africa called Trees for the Future. 
who, if you're not aware of them, I highly recommend checking out their website. They do some incredible work with African communities, teaching them how to essentially use what little water resources they have and make multiple, um, or sorry, make very fertile farming land. So we're helping out with those guys. Uh, We also have pledged to not change our uniform until we have to. I'm not sure if you've noticed not to name drop any other companies, but there are lots of ski schools that want a new colour, a new look every year. And that is just pumping money into the fashion industry, which, as we all know, has a very negative effect. So we have pledged to stay with our uniform until they are literally not usable anymore. And when they're at that point, we then work very closely with a non-for-profit organisation called uh, One Tree at a Time, who will then take in our uniforms, repair them, hopefully get them back up and running, or if not, recycle them into another use, whether that's helping repair other jackets or it's sending them around the world to places of need. It means that our personal carbon footprint will be much, much smaller through holding on to these uniforms for as long as possible. One of our our best creations that really took off last year was something called the carpool tool. And this really came off a small idea one night thinking maybe this would work and it's kicked off over town. We set up a WhatsApp group to local community and we just said, look, there's so many cars going up and down every day. And unfortunately, a real lack of public transport that works for people like instructors. So let's set up a simple car sharing tool. And it's exactly what we've done. And with some very basic uh, mathematical equations, we've got 100 people in this group currently. And let's say half of those people are now car sharing in the morning with one person. We're taking 50 cars a day off the local route. Not only does that massively um, minimise the your personal carbon off uh, footprint because of you know less uh, less gas being used, but it also then frees up the roads for the local transport services to work so much more efficiently. You've not got, and for those of you that know Maribel, you know you drive up every morning. It's an absolute scene of chaos at that final roundabout just next to Jack's Bar. You can't get around. The bus is always late and people are frustrated. So by doing this very simple idea, we are having multiple knock on effects that we really hope we get more people involved and try and put it down as much as possible. I mean, I think that's fantastic. All of those uh, points that you uh, mentioned, you mentioned one tree at a time. I'm certainly familiar with them and they're very good at upcycling uh, materials or uniforms from uh, from different uh, people. Um, the carpool tool really, I found that very interesting uh, as well. Am I right in saying, I think I read on the website that um, you've adjusted your lesson start times to make them slightly later to allow uh, your instructors to to you know get to the lessons without having to drive to give you an example i live in lesaloo which is the next town down from maribel it's only about an eight minute drive in the morning and we also have a telecabin that comes through the town unfortunately that telecabin is not reliable or does not open early enough for me to get to lessons in maribel on time so you have no other choice apart from to take the bus or to drive yourself. So we suggested to our clients, if you're over in Courchevel, because we cover the whole of the three valleys, if you're over in Courchevel, we are not going to drive to you in the mornings. We're going to push back to 9.30, which means that gives us an extra 30 minutes in the morning to take the local available public transport. Instead of committing to a 30-minute drive, driving to another resort around the corner, it's just another small thing that we hope reduces our our carbon footprint. I will say that although we do advertise that through our website, we found this year that just by using things like the carpool tool, we didn't actually have to do it because the local community really jumped on top of this and so many people were heading up the mountain that we didn't have to push back our start times, which was great. 
Cool. I mean, you know, I love that example of community action and it's a kind of win, win, win uh, situation, because as you say, you're reducing uh, the footprint, you're reducing congestion on the roads and, you know, you're evidently kind of reducing costs to a certain degree as well. And I might as well throw in the, the fourth one that, you know, you're building more of a community between everyone working there, which is really important as well. Uh, Estelle, I wonder, does anything like this exist? I mean, I guess a lot of people, you know, are driving up into Lehman Weir and Valterens. Is there any kind of car sharing or uh, or something for workers to, you know, make it easier for them? Yes, um, I have to say that uh, all the workers uh, from the Lips company from Valterens and Lehman Weir, they all have their a big buses, a uh, big coach actually, where they 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 that they can take to go to go to work. So it goes uh, very uh, quite early in the morning, and also for the um, um, uh, ski patrol company, they are using the same like a, a, a car sharing or coach to bring uh, to bring all the employees to uh, to the to the work. Between Samarta and Lemenuir, every morning there's two free buses uh, starting at 8.30 and 9, I think. So you can take those free buses to go to work in Lemenuir and Valtrans. Uh, and there's also two, two other at, at the end of the day at 5.30 and 6.30, which is quite quite useful actually for workers like me, for example. I live in Samarta Belleville and I work in Lemenuir, so I can use those free buses to go working. So we try to uh, we try to communicate on those um, uh, uh, other way to uh, to arrive in the resort. Overall, Ollie, I, I love all of those uh, ideas. And uh, you know, listener, if you like to uh, support a ski school that uh, views the sustainability and the environmental side of things uh, as being very important, then Rhythm to Ride. I'll put a link in the show notes as well as to uh, the seed planting that you mentioned as well, Ollie. There was just one other of our pledges, which I'd failed to mention, which actually is one of our biggest. Um, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners are familiar with talks you've done with the company called Protect Our Winters. So we know at the end of the day, as a ski school, our influence can be massive, but we're still not going to stop people flying out to us, going heli skiing, doing whatever it might be. However, we have decided to work along the work alongside Protect Our Winters, and we donate 3% of our total earnings to them as a company, who then go on to have a much wider effect and do a lot of carbon literacy training with bigger companies. So we know that we are essentially, although may have a small reach with what we're trying to do, by working alongside these bigger companies, we can have much, much more positive potential. Yeah, I think that's great. Three percent is, uh, you know, exceptionally uh, generous as well. There's a lot of one percent uh, for the planet I've seen. So, you know, there, there you go. Another uh, reason as well. Um, just from a sustainability point of view, um, I mean, last week my trip to the Alps and, and back was by train. There has been some news about the train that's come in effectively in the last 24 hours. And I will be covering it in more detail in our next uh, podcast. But the gist is that while the direct snow train from London to the French Alps will not happen this year, there will be a service that will go via Lille. Uh, It'll be possible to just buy individual tickets uh, for that from Eurostar, but also buy package holidays uh, using that route with Ingham's and also with uh, travel ski uh, as well so I'm gonna, the, you can find out more about that at skiflightfree.org uh, but I'll be covering it uh, in more detail with an interview uh, or a couple of interviews in the next uh, episode but that is really good news right we're just going to move to the close now I've got one small note on uh, Threadbow in episode 183 we discussed the lift pass cap and uh, Jen Sang actually wondered if it affected lift pass holders so if you listen to 183 I did actually go and ask them and they told me that they don't cap a season pass holder a visitation they just cap but they do cap how many season passes are sold so if anyone was interested in that that covers that Uh, From a feedback point of view, uh, I enjoy all feedback about the show. I do like to know what you think, um, ideas for features, etc. So please contact me uh, via social at the Ski Podcast or by email skipodcast at gmail.com. I had a few comments uh, since the last episode. Joe Childs said, uh, new new Ski Podcast day is always a great day. Uh, Thank you, Joe. Uh, Good to hear that. Um, Sorry, I can't pronounce your name properly, but 
Hosenski from Croatia on Facebook said, nice uh, podcast. And Peter, who I'm pretty sure is Danish, sent in an email saying, uh, I started listening to your podcast two days ago, and I'm slowly listening to most of your old episodes. I'm currently at episode uh, 24. Peter, I hope you're not starting there uh, because I think the recent ones are probably a bit better than the original ones. But he goes on. Uh, I've wanted to go on a ski holiday for a long time, but my family and friends have never wanted to go. This year, I had my first experience skiing indoors, but it made me want to go for real. I wondered if you had any suggestions for a good location for my first holiday. I've been looking at Austria uh, and France. Well, I my thoughts are, and I just dropped to Peter an email about this. If he's looking at Austria, um, you know, maybe Elmau or Seoul could be good places uh, to start. Um, Estelle, any any chance uh, you would suggest that Lehman Rear is a good place for someone to start skiing? Yes, it's perfect. It's perfect. It's a very nice place where where you have um, always um, a good place to go skiing at the sun, uh, with the sun, actually. So it's it's good to start actually. I think it's a it's a kind of a, yes good way to start skiing. And then there's also very nice slopes that what we call easy rider slopes. You know. Yeah, I mean that 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 blue run that goes down from the top of Lamenwe. I can't remember what it's called. Yeah. Now, down to Saint Martin. Blue and green. What's that called? Yeah. Uh, I don't know because there's different one. There's the Grand Lac and then you can take the Jerusalem. Jerusalem. It really depends where. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I went. We had a family holiday uh, with my kids, and I would say it's probably about six years ago now, or something like that. So, therefore, they were about ten, and that was our favourite run of the day. That was brilliant. Uh, mm-hmm. Ollie, uh, I guess you'd recommend uh, Maribel for uh, beginners to uh, to learn. To I mean, I I definitely would. I'm a I'm a real advocate for the Three Valleys um, combined skiing area. It's to anywhere else I've skied in the world. It has so much terrain and especially for beginner levels you can really get to experience all three of those valleys and how big of a resort this is but still ski within your level and ability which is very unique yeah uh, it's uh, it's glorious for sure so hopefully peter that answers your question is is giving you a lot of choices uh, anyway and if you're a beginner listening to the podcast um do ask uh, any other questions you've got and if you like the podcast there are a couple of things you can do to help you can give us a review on spotify or apple Podcasts, or if you'd like to you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ski podcast there are 184 episodes to catch up with now i had a look earlier and 134 of those were listened to in the last week uh, you can follow me at Skipedia and the podcast at the Ski Podcast. But for now, I'd like to thank Letoir Valet for sponsoring the show and thank my guest today, Estelle. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Ollie, thank you very much. Thank you, Ian. Thanks for having us on. Really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. And finally, listener, thank you for joining us. And until next time, goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Don't forget that if you want to support the podcast, then remember to book your ski hire with Intersport and use the code SKIPODCAST or simply take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Thanks again and have a great winter.